Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. This week, we're honored to welcome, for the first time, a cozy mystery author to our podcast. We're so excited. Ellen Byron, writer of the Cajun Country Mystery Series, whose most recent mystery, Mardi Gras Murder, was nominated for Best Humorous Mystery Lefty Award and for an Agatha Award. So welcome, Ellen. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. We feel so lucky to finally have a cozy author here. Oh, (laughs) I'm sure there are many more who'd love to come. Well, after hearing you speak Uh as a reading or Q&A at the Beverly Hills Library, we were just enamored with the concept of your series. And then you you were so wonderful to speak to afterwards. So we really feel lucky to have you on. Oh, well, ditto. Right back at you. (laughs) So we start every episode with a Mm check-in around what's making us feel cozy this week. Little fireplace sound. Uh, (laughs) Would anyone like to kick it off or I can get it started? I can. Oh, Um, go ahead. The rain. I mean, I'm a... I found out the name for what I am as a pluviophile. Is that what that's called? Yes. Oh. I love the rain. So the minute the rain stops, I get depressed. I have reverse sad. Well, we feel the same way here at All Things Cozy. We're just always talking about... The, yeah. the, the the weather here and how we miss the rainy weather now that we're in LA and oh absolutely in fact my husband said the, when we first met what made him notice me was I someone said you know because I just moved to LA a couple of years before that and said what and I said well I, what I miss most is the rain mm-hmm. he was like oh because he's from St Louis so no, <laughs> Matt's partner's from yes. St Louis area oh, yeah oh wow yeah, being yeah. from the Midwest I'm used to a lot of thunderstorms yes and mm-hmm. I love any excuse just to stay inside yeah and so the one <laughs> oppressive thing about living mm-hmm. in LA is that the beautiful weather constantly is really making you feel guilty for those days. So much guilt. You want to stay in and write or just kind of relax. And everyone else is like, hey, come out, let's have a picnic. And you're like, well, I know it's a beautiful day, but I'm tired of taking advantage of those. Yes, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm with you on that. (laughs) And today's raining, so we're all in our element. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So what's making me feel cozy this week is actually on the topic of St. Louis, it's a restaurant in St. Louis. Oh. There's a place called Crown Candy Kitchen. Oh, yes, of course. Have you been there? I, I think I was there once, but I remember, I know I've gotten their candy, so I think I was there once. It's like a 1950s yes. like diner establishment, uh-huh. and they also make their own candy. Yeah. So it's this beautiful kind of confection shop, like almost like a soda jerk type mm. place. They have all their chocolates they make off to the side and different little candies. And then you can sit down and have lunch. Oh. And they're famous for these gigantic bacon BLTs. Ooh. But they put so much bacon on it that the the it's like a mountain of bacon <laughs> with like a little piece of, of bread on the top just teetering <laughs> precariously. I'm a vegetarian, so I could not have that. But yeah, indulge some candy, I but assume. No, I didn't indulge in candy. Oh, no, wait. I did have, they have wonderful malts. Ooh, so I had a, yeah. a really yeah, great malt. Yeah, right now. And it was a chocolate banana, which is a great flavor. Yeah. They have a really great egg salad sandwich. I love egg salad, which was also like ridiculously filled up. A little hard to eat, but kind of like it was the novelty of it. Too. Next time you go to St. Louis, you have to go to Ted Drew's. For oh, their, yeah, yeah. For the, their their custard, yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Cozy all across the board. You have the location itself. It's like really cute in there, candy shop. And then the food is also comfort food. Yeah. So it's the whole package. So if you're ever in St. Louis... Highly recommend checking out Crown Candy Kitchen. Very Sounds cozy. Sounds like a perfect Sunday afternoon yeah. pit stop. Yeah. And go early because the lines get insane. I so can just imagine. go and they go and they open. So what's making me feel cozy this week is my hometown's police blotter, which sounds a little (laughs) (laughs) curious, but it reminds me of of a cozy mystery, the cast of characters that come through in this police blotter. It's very low level 
not even I wouldn't even call it crime just Mm -hmm. misunderstandings (laughs) so I have one that I'm going to read I always you know check in on it because it makes me laugh and this is one is actually a favorite of me and my mom's um, that we always reference so a 48 year old Stanton Street man called police Thursday at 6 32 p.m. to report a gaunt middle-aged white male dressed in black and walking in a suspicious manner (laughs) The caller stated the suspicious man was also carrying a large hibiscus plant and (laughs) thought it was suspicious that the man with the plant did not look at the caller or acknowledge his presence. Police were unable to locate the man. Oh, (laughs) that is insane. Um, That that is a... It is just so silly, like a hibiscus plant. So it's just some poor man probably going to like a housewarming party. Yeah. Very suspicious. It's super suspicious. Okay, I I want to know all about the guy who reported that. Right, that's the interesting thing here. A gaunt that's, male. Yeah. So I'll just have one more, and then I'll retire the police blotter. Oh, I, we might need to make this a regular segment. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, at two forty-seven p.m., police received a report of a possibly suspicious package at Constitution Square. Police responded and determined someone had just walked away from his lunch for a few moments. <laughs> <laughs> Could have oh been a bomb. Gosh. Does any crime yes. actually happen, or is it all just sort of misunderstandings? Misunderstandings. There's one where this woman thought someone had broken and entered into her house when police arrived. They discovered that her husband had just come home early. Oh, oh that's God. so fun. Well, you know what? I am. Um, uh, that reminds me of a story which is off topic a little bit. Moms and I, when our kids were little, were comparing stories, and the one mom told the story of how she uh, went to the mall and she just had her second child and her you know brain was fried and um and she came out and her car, she couldn't find her car and she oh. reported it that it was stolen and so the police came and then suddenly she saw her car driving by go there there it is there it is there's the, the person who stole a car it was her husband she had taken their other car oh <laughs> well that would have made the blotter so. exactly exactly yeah so it's a lot of funny little misunderstandings and it just gives me a chuckle and it's entertaining. It makes you feel cozy. Didn't Jay Leno it. used to read those as well? Or am I thinking of headlines? Oh, headlines, I yeah. think. But oh, yeah. I, now I have to find a blotter somewhere. Yeah. I actually put a Google alert when I was writing Body on the Bayou for you know to see if there was any hits for my book. Mm-hmm. And to this day, because I've never disabled it, I don't even remember how, I, I get all my Body on the Bayou hits have nothing to do with my book. And they're all like <laughs> bodies that ended up in a bayou. Oh, wow. <laughs> Or near a bio, or in a bio, or on a bio. Oh, that's a dark little reminder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's that's a great way to seg into asking you questions about cozy mysteries. Yeah. We're, I'm so excited just to have a cozy author here. Oh, so wow. I apologize. We have like a million questions. Yeah, for you. sure. Yeah, please. I feel like we're just vibrating with energy. We're, I know. we're all you know excited and nervous to have you. So we're gonna take it all the way back to okay. the genesis of your mystery writing. Sure. First, we we'd like to know what brought you to the cozy mystery genre. Let's just start there what what brought you to the cozy well you know what i didn't even know there was a genre when Mm -hmm. i wrote what happened is um when i was 14 i was uh, got into an acting program in new york at the american academy of dramatic arts and so i was commuting from the suburbs and i needed um to read and i picked up agatha christie and i think by the end of the summer i'd read pretty much everything she wrote i mean like so many of us i started with nancy drews and love nancy drews Mm -hmm. and then i moved up to agatha christie and edgar Allan poe and i just really really loved her mysteries because they didn't haunt me like there was something satisfying in them and the settings were you know it was just there was something very comfortable about them as opposed to like a suspense or a thriller mm-hmm. or something where you know th- there's a lot of violence and gore and and I read one by an author I won't name um a, a year ago that you know where teenage girls were being 
raped and tortured and mutilated and murdered. And I was like, oh, oh, oh this is horrible. I yeah. have a teenage daughter. I can't read this. Yeah. So there's something comfortably there's something very comfortable comforting about the agatha christie's because the world is very genteel and you know and and they're puzzles so you're the fun is trying to see if you can figure things out and then going oh i never saw that coming because the irony of of any mystery is like the fun of trying to figuring it out if you do then but you're mad at the mystery because like you don't really want to figure it Mm -hmm. out you know you you have get very excited when you realize you didn't figure it out because they surprised you and twisted in a way that you didn't see coming um so when i um i was uh you know i write for television and i was on a a forced break not by choice and i thought a friend started a writer's group my friend mindy and i and i thought you know i tried to write a mystery once before um because there was a writer i was angry at and wanted to kill and couldn't so (laughs) i I tried to write him off and um i used to teach uh, workshops at ucla extension and i get a free class Mm. every time i taught so i took a mystery class and um people read their work and i realized that everyone was doing better than me, even though I was the only quote-unquote professional writer in the room. So I really didn't think I could write a mystery. So when Mindy started our group, I thought, you know, I'm just going to try it again for fun. And I wrote one that was called, at the time it was called Reality Checked. And then when it went out, the title was You Can Never Be Too Thin or Too Dead. And it was set in Los Angeles, and it was um, from the perspective of um, a woman who got a job from at, as a school psychologist at a very wealthy school here. And so it was very much about the L.A. world and the uber-wealthy world. And um, I knew an, another mystery author named Denise Hamilton. We had kids. We knew each other from the kid world. And she mentioned she was going to Thriller Fest, and I thought, oh, that doesn't sound right. And I asked her if there was anything for people who didn't write thrillers, and she said, well, there's this conference called, you know, this convention called Malice Domestic. So I looked it up, and I saw that they had um, a grant program. So I applied for a grant, and with the grant, you got um, $1,500 and free, uh, you know, two nights free and um, registration free, and you had to pay to get yourself there. But I won one of the grants. There were two grant winners that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other was um, Renee Pat- Patrick, which was a husband and wife team um, of Rosemary and um, Vince Keenan. So I got, I never, didn't know these conferences existed and I had no idea what it was. And I went and it was an amazing experience. And so then I took me nine months to find an agent because it turned out that book kind of had a foot in each camp. It really, it was cozy adjacent, but it was a little more jaded and edgy um, than a cozy. So um, it wasn't really tradition. It was like, so I, I got afterwards, but while I was waiting for that to sell, I started writing Plantation Shutters. Um, the title came from my friend Mindy Schneider, a fabulous comedy writer and also an, a writer of great uh, books. She wrote Not a Happy Camper, and she's written another book that's hilarious um, that's out right now. But anyway, um, so I I started, I, you know, I always, my theater agent, because I started as a playwright, said I used to have, I have two voices, a TV voice and a theater voice. And I think the first book was more my TV voice. And this book was really, you know, writing about the South. I went to school, I transferred from SUNY Binghamton to Tulane in the middle of my sophomore year. And I fell in love with not only New Orleans, but Cajun country, because my parents would come visit, and we rent a car and just go all over in these Mm -hmm. small towns and the culture. And it's a region that is so fascinating because it's so held on to its culture in ways that very few places have. Um, And 80% of the citizens of of Louisiana are native-born, which really tells Mm -hmm. you something. So when I started to write another mystery to kill the time, um, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go to that passion of mine for this area. And thus, um, the Cajun Country Mysteries were born. 
Yeah, that kind of bleeds into our next question because we're going to ask what inspired you to set your series in Louisiana and you, yeah. you know, having transferred there and spent time there, but you also had other locations to pick from. Yeah, so. I don't, I think, be, oh, well, you know what? My plays, that's the other thing I should say, is that um, I, this plant, this fascination didn't come out of nowhere. My play, Gra my first play, Graceland, which was a one-act, which actually won awards and, mm. you know, still gets done around the country, is about two women who arrived the night before um, Elvis Presley's mansion is going to be open to the public, each of them determined to be the first person to set foot inside, to have that honor. And you learn about who these women are and then their relationship. And one of them I created was a Cajun girl. And um, inspired by those trips I would take with my parents and my fascination with the area. And then I wrote a companion piece to that called Asleep on the Wind, which was actually set in um, a field where a plantation had been that burned down, which was inspired by um, the what's called Oak and Pine Alley. There was a family called Durand's. And if you look at my series, there's a Bo's last oh, name is yeah. Durand. It was inspired by, um, it was a very wealthy plantation family. And when their daughters got married, they were so wealthy that they imported spiders from China or something that spun webs between the elk and, you know, the tree LA that led to their plantation. And then the day of the wedding, they sprinkled the cobwebs with gold and gold dust and oh, I think details. silver dust. Insane. Oh, so, wow. so when people were arriving, they were coming under this wow. canopy of spider webs, golden and silver spider webs. Yeah, so, and then, but that plantation is gone, and I'd learned, when you know, as someone pointed out, you'd see, um, you know, you travel to certain areas of the south, and Louisiana is the area I know, um, and you'd see this these two row of trees, and then nothing after, and often mm -hmm. where the nothing was was originally a plantation, and that was the entrance. They, you know, go up there to get to the front of the plantation. Wow, yeah, it just seems like it's a setting rich with details, mm -hmm. and you know it so much. It is, and the culture of is so unique. I mean, you know, um, I've been going back and forth now since I was in college, and um, even now, you know, I was I used to be afraid um, that the French, there are people who still speak French as their first language, and I was afraid that was dying out, but then when my husband and daughter and I were there in 2015, we went to um, a very local place called B&C Seafood in Vachery on the River Road, um, and there was a fa group of people sitting at another table laughing and joking. They were speaking French, and um, and they were like in their 40s, you know, so I thought, oh good, it's, um, because the, for a while in Louisiana's history, there was a period when they were trying to wipe it out, you know, make everyone mm -hmm. speak English, get rid of that, no French, and then a program called Codophile, C-O-D-I, Codophile, whatever, I can't remember what it stands for, was created to to bring back the language and the culture and stuff. And so that really, you know, is credited with the resurgence of Cajun language, you know, French Cajun and the, and the culture. I hope I'm not going on too oh, long. No, no, oh, no, 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 no. I love it. It's just like, I, I'm still imagining the, 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 spider. the spiders. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. such a beautiful detail. Yeah, you detail. can look it up. Oak and Pine Alley, and then the family was named Durand. Yeah, and, yeah, and then your names in uh, the book are also really interesting, too. Oh, thanks. Some of them I, I stole from a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Poche, I, stole, I actually stole some stories from friends. So my friend Charlotte, who I adore, um, in Plantation Shutters, there was a a scene where, like, oh, not a scene, but a character is saying, but, you know, her ancestors, one, they'd swim across the Mississippi to court the other family on the other side of the Mississippi. <laughs> and Charlotte was like, oh, I read your book, and that story was yeah, there for my family. I said, yeah, <laughs> don't yeah. tell a writer anything. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know. That's funny how that works. So... <laughs>
That's that's one of my favorite things. You were talking about this a little bit earlier about cozy mysteries. Yeah. Is you get to learn so much through mm-hmm. the themes that they have, and so Louisiana is so rich with culture and unique traditions yeah. that you get to just learn mm-hmm. about all these things. Like I would have never even imagined that anybody would hire or or mm-hmm. buy spiders for this is the middle of the eighteen hundreds. And yeah. um, and the thing is, for me, I really have to say that you know I know very little of anything north of I ten. So <laughs> I mean, because there's there's a whole I'd say two thirds of the state. I mean, I'll, I know a little bit of Prairie Cajun because that's the Prairie Cajun. There's Coastal Cajun and Prairie Cajun, mm. and Prairie Cajun is really a lot of it's north of I-10 because it's at the fe- there are more fields and more open land than the you know the coast. But two thirds of the state is is north of I-10, and I really mm. you know I've, I think the farthest I ever got was Opelousas. <laughs> so <laughs> on the topic of your your mysteries, your cozy mysteries. Yes. Your sleuth is Maggie Crozat. Yeah. As we know from reading them, the sleuth is the lifeblood of the series. They mm-hmm. they carry each and every um, entry. And so can you tell us a little bit about how Maggie came to life? Well, um, I I really... The Crozat Plantation B&B was inspired... Uh, in the late 90s, my husband and I spent a night at Maidwood Plantation. And um, it was kind of... It was like a no... It was a fascinating experience because it was no host. They were not oh. here. They were not there, but they left lovely notes. I mean, you know, so it was run as a and b but the family, the marshals, ha- didn't happen to be there at that time, although there are times when they're there. And so, you know, you'd have there was a wine and cheese hour and you're there with complete strangers. So I was like, this is like, and then there were none. Mm -hmm. So, um, that really inspired the kind of using that as a setting. And then I fell in love with a plantation called Ashland Belle Helene, which had been completely derelict. I actually met Gaynelle Bourgeois, who's in my book, Gaynelle Bourgeois Moore was a guide at Ashland Belle Helene. And that's how we met in the mid eighties. And we became friends and we lost touch. And I'll get back to what you're saying in a minute. And then we, um, the story of how we got back in touch is really kind of fun. Um, but I'll remind me and I'll get back to that. But in terms of Maggie, so I knew the setting and I knew I wanted her to be, have her family have the history of being mm-hmm. there for years. Um, but I also had to make her someone I could write. So that's why I made her someone who'd spent 12 years in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she comes back. And so she's a fish out of, you know, there's the irony of her being a fish out of water in a place where she grew up and where her family is one of the, you know, prestigious families there because of their lineage, which is mm-hmm. very true in in parts of Louisiana that you can not have a pot to pee in, but if your family goes back 300 years, you have, a, you know, a status that that is rare in this country now. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of an interesting cultural thing that I noticed when I lived there. Um, and I only lived there during college. But, so, <laughs> but my daughter's in college there now. So oh, I've, that's I've nice spent trip. a lot of time. She's at the school next to mine. And I spent a lot of time going back and forth because I love the area so yeah, much. Yeah, it's a good excuse to go. Yes. Um, so that's how she came about. And then I, I made her an artist, I think, because my daughter at the time was very, art, you know, and she still is, she's very artistic. And um, and so I could relate to that. And then one of my dearest friends in New Orleans, Jan Gilbert, um, is a renowned artist there. And, and so I thought of Jan, and then I, I just thought of some friends. And, you know, she's, I think your protagonist ends up being you on so many levels, you know, your mm-hmm. voice, because you get inside their heads, and they just end up often, even if they're not you on the surface, you know, they don't look like you or mm-hmm. don't have your background, they'll often have your voice, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a little about her. But then it was funny because um, a reader who, uh, a beta, I had a beta reader read a version of something to give me notes on, and she wasn't a mystery writer. 
And um, she was like, well, why does she, you know, because you're always have, you're always grappling with an amateur sleuth. Like, why are they doing this? What makes them good at it? And um, and she said, what is it? Because she's an artist. She's like, sees things that other people miss. And I said, yes, yeah. <laughs> thank you. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So now in every book since then, it wasn't in Plantation Shutters, but in every book since then, I always reference the fact that, you know, she yeah. has a visual acuity because of her art thing. So, so I, I, you have to, I think it's really important to justify an amateur sleuth. So I gave her that and, you know, an ability and a little bit of an intuition because that's also very part and parcel with the region. There's an, you know, an element of this, not supernatural necessarily, but an appreciation of that. And well, she has dreams. Yeah. And, um, and then also, um, the fact that yes, her family is so, um, you know, given, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, you know, because they've been around for so long respect, Mm -hmm. they are so respected that she has entree to places and to, to people that the police might not. Right. So access is a big problem. Yes. Access. So she, so, cause I didn't want it to be that the, you know, the police are saying, don't get involved. So that's also why I gave, um, her antagonism, which changes through the course of the series with the police chief is, is not based on the fact she's an amateur sleuth. It's based on the fact that he holds a grudge 150 years old because his family is convinced mm-hmm. that her family put a curse on their, the relationships of, because of a, an old standing feud. Mm-hmm. So I try to make that a cultural thing. Um, and then her boyfriend, it is kind of a bit of a trope that her boyfriend is a local detective. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I made it like, rather than him say, you know, stop and don't mm-hmm. be involved. I mean, he does eventually say that like, Hey, be careful. But and he says, look, it, you know, it's a small town. They don't have a lot of money. And so if she can find stuff out that's helpful. Yeah. And then that also ties into the region because, um, Louisiana has it, you know, they still have the Napoleonic code there. I mean, it it operates in many ways, not in all ways, but you know, by its own set of rules. In fact, um, I I tell the story that when I took my daughter, we went on a tour of Laura because I toured almost all of those plantations. And at one point, um, the guide was telling us about something where they skirted some rule back in the day, and and she goes in this this like smoky this whiskey voice. She goes in Louisiana, we only follow the rules we like. <laughs> and so I was like. That and so every yeah, book that's at, really now funny. Rufus says that now in every book and um, I remember uh, I was at BoucherCon, which is a big mystery conference in 2015, and I was talking to a fellow uh, Crooked Lane author, um, retired detective in Oakland, and I told him that Bo, his his cousin, was the police chief, and he brought him brought Bo in from another city um, in Louisiana to be a detective, and he frowned and said, "Well, you know, you can't do that. You can't just go in as a detective. You have to work your way up." And I was like trapped. I said. Oh, well, it's Louisiana. I said, oh, well, you know. <laughs> and I'm sure out. Louisiana was going, uh, hello, we have roles here too. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't work. And then somewhere else in Louisiana, someone's going, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> so, uh, Yeah, I really love Maggie because she's so independent. And Thank you know, you. she's like a, a more of a modern woman in comparison, yes. yeah, comparison to other um, protagonists that I think I've read before in the Cozy Mysteries. But I want to go back to, um, you mentioned basing Gainiel off of a person you know. And so then that's actually one of my other questions is that your characters are so finely detailed and Uh wondering if any other characters you based it off people you've known... Uh, Gaynell, well, I, and I tell the story at the end. I have a Lanyap chapter in my books, which is a Louisiana thing for a little something extra. And that's where I talk about the real people and places that mm-hmm. inspired me. Certainly my friend Charlotte, my friend Jan inspired aspects, you know, and then of course, then you take it and fictionalize it. 
Um, and I want to get back to Vanessa in a minute, but I'll tell Gaynell. Um, so I was telling you that we first met in the mid eighties when she was a tour guide and then we lost touch. And then when I brought my husband 10 years later, mm-hmm. we stopped at homeless house plantation and I, we didn't do the tour, but I said to in the gift shop, I said, Oh, you know, I had a friend who worked up at Ashland Bellamy. Maybe you know, her, her name was Gaynell. Bourgeois Moore, and the woman goes, no, she works here. <laughs> and she gets on the walkie-talkie, then went and calls her, and Gaynelle comes running down in her Aww. hoop skirt, and we connected, and we've just been, you know, fast friends ever yeah. since. And she met my parents, and she stayed with them and when she was traveling oh, wow. up north, and so... Um, so, And then I, when I was writing the first book, Plantation Shutters, I said... I, I, Emailed her. I said, "Look, I'm. I want to name a character. You inspired a character, so she can either you're either the grandmother, the grand mare, or you can be a 19 year old musician." And she is Ganelle's in her you know late 70s now, and she's like, "Oh, I'll be the musician, the 19 year old." <laughs> so she's um, and she's very excited Honey. because in the fifth book, which will be out in October, um, there's someone who's pointing a finger at Ganelle for a murder. Oh, so she's got like a front spotlight. Story. So yeah. she's like, "I can't wait till that book's out. Where's that book? I want that book." <laughs> So, um, Vanessa, I don't know where she came from. Vanessa is the blousy frenemy (laughs) of, um, of Maggie who starts out as an enemy and then becomes a frenemy and, and basically a friend eventually. It is kind of a clueless one, but I have to tell you something funny because I just always had this vision in my head of who she was and all of a sudden, I realized one day recently, I was like, I, you know, I started to follow Stormy Daniels oh, on on Twitter, and I <laughs> suddenly thought, oh my God, Stormy Daniels is That's the Vanessa. perfect casting <laughs> for for Vanessa. I could see it. Oh my and, God, um, and I'm going to imagine her whenever I read. I know. Yeah, <laughs> imagine her. But you know what's interesting, and I didn't know it when I said, oh my God, she's perfect. She's from Baton Rouge. Oh. What a yeah. weird coincidence. Huh? Yeah. So I mean, uh, you know, I'm like, if ever, if this series ever went to to film and I don't know, or to TV, I don't know if it ever would, but I would say, please bring her in to read. Yeah. It's yeah. not for any, not yeah. for, not for a salacious value, just mm-hmm. because she's exactly how I see this woman in my head. Yeah. Get stormy on the horn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. So, that's so. so funny. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much, um, Vanessa stuck out to me and also all in the Mardi Gras murder, all the pageant um, oh, judges. The, yeah. yeah. There's just such a great cast of characters. So that was, was fun. I don't even know. Sometimes there's like a hint of someone that you, well, I'll tell you something interesting in a Cajun Christmas killing where there's that hedge fund guy and who's mm-hmm. just evil was inspired by um, reading a Vanity Fair article about this. Um, and I won't use his name cause I probably get in big trouble, but I'm sure people who know that world will know exactly who it is. Um, this hedge fund guy who would write, who'd see a company that he wanted to acquire and then start writing nasty letters to the board, um, undermining the current oh. um, leadership of the company and these horrible letters. And he finally creates such lack of trust and, and such, you know, insecurity about the leadership that he can kind of pounce in there and take over the company. And I think sometimes he was right, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times it was just this kind of avarice on his part. You know, I want that. I will do anything to get it. So that actually, that inspired the story and the character who's the, um, the murder victim in that book. Yeah. I find you can, you know, find a lot of interesting plot points, in the news. And oh, yeah. Inspired mm-hmm. by it, for yeah, sure. Exactly. Or police blotters. Yeah, or police, police blotters. That's great yeah, like, stuff. Yeah, hibiscus plant carrying man. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a great beginning for something, I'm telling <laughs> you. I may steal it. Remember, yeah. tell, don't ever tell a writer anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so another craft question, actually, in terms of how you go about planning the murders mm-hmm. in your mysteries. And I'm always curious, because it has to be pretty 
intricate, right? Because not only do you have to have the event, so there's like, how do they get killed? Like, what's the circumstance? How do you have one person be suspected? And then from backwards, from there, creating all sorts of red herrings, right? Mm -hmm. For the reader. How do you go about planning that? You know what? Um, I'm uh, there. They they say it breaks down to pantsers and plotters, and pantsers are people just right by the seat of their pants and just dive in. I'm I'm a plotter, but I create what I call a fluid outline because it changes so much. I mean, a a lot of it changes when I'm writing, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the structure basically stays the same. And I've yet to have um, the. Some people go, well, I realized it was someone else all along, and I'm like. No, mine is always, even if like a chapter changes or I find I get rid of one storyline or bring in another, realize mm-hmm. I need another storyline, you know, the the bones are very similar. So I kind of just, you know, I think my improv background, I did comedy improv for a long time, and I think just the thinking of that, just the simple question of what happens next, you know, and asking like um, Agatha Christie said it was like who, what, where, why, and how, mm. um, and just... You know, starting and looking at the dynamics of relationships. Okay, well, um, you know, why was someone murdered? Um, Who would have, you know, then, okay, so you have like that center. And then it's almost like, I think, um, spokes on a wheel or spider web, as Hallie Efron says. That's, you just start shooting out of that. Okay, well, there, you know, you want to have about six people who are likely suspects. Then you have to develop, why are they suspects? Mm -hmm. And then, um what are their, then it's like the relationships and you have to find each reason. And I think as you're developing the reasons for um, the suspects, that's kind of where your red herrings come in. Um, I'm not intentionally creating red herrings, but I'm sending my my sleuth on different journeys to find out. So, I mean, for me, it's almost like I start with like a very simple, almost like a log line. And then I, you know, turn that into synopsis because my, my current publisher, um, wants to see a synopsis my my publisher for my second series wants an outline which is terrifying because I've never turned in one mm-hmm. I just I'll write a 30 page outline but it's like just bits and pieces and you know whatever but um but the good thing about a, an outline is that for me is that it means I can write the book faster and and then as I'm you know I'm just keep blowing it out blowing it out and eventually it goes you know it is so from it's like almost like a log line to a synopsis to a beach sheet where I'm doing beaks to a to chapters and and then um you know I'm looking at what I need and what the relationships are and then for me it's like I always have um it's almost like TV like a castle or a murder she wrote, you know, where you have um, your case of the week, which is the overall case, but then you have the ongoing arc of the relationships of the characters. Mm-hmm. So, and it's it's a bit of a, you know, trick to make sure that readers who are coming in, maybe with Mardi Gras Murder, as their, the fourth book is their first read of my series, that they don't feel lo- so lost, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the ongoing dynamics. And then hopefully want to go back, but also go, oh, well, what happened? How did this happen? So I'll go back and read. So yeah. That you, is the trick with Cozy is, is you, you have to orient new readers for each new entry, but there's yeah. obviously a huge history going right. before that of like all these other books that mm-hmm. built into that story. Yeah. A lot of people reading cozies like want to start, you know, with the first one and, and I get that, but I mean, I'll pick up a book and sometimes I'll go back to the first two, but I may not go back to the first one mm-hmm. um, in a series, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is, it, hopefully there's, especially with my series, there's just like enough of the relationships so that you can go back and not feel like, Oh, it's this is old news to me. Well, you, you do know. a great job of you know, kind of catching us up to speed. You know, um, especially with 
uh, Bo's son, you know, Xander. He has yeah, Xander. Like he he has a very um he's a very specific character and he plays a, a big role in Maggie's yeah. life and um he also has special special needs. Yeah. And, and so, that was inspired um Bo uh Xander is on on the spectrum. He has Asperger's and and that was just inspired by so many kids as from preschool on seeing kids who have who are have ADHD or have Asperger's and having you know play dates with these kids and or selective mutism which is how he started mm-hmm. I knew two kids who had that and then you know grew out of it eventually or made the choice to speak to other people and then another thing with Bo and Maggie it's I didn't want to do a love triangle um because I personally get impatient with those. Yeah, thank yes. you. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he's but a reader. You squashed so really, that quickly. <laughs> I wanted to make um, the uh, obstacles to the relationship real and mm-hmm. relatable, which is why, okay, well, Bo was divorced. Well, then that means he has an ex-wife. Well, you know, what's that like? What's she like? So I created Whitney, who's this, you know, the first time Maggie sees her, she's this, like, drop, dead, yeah. gorgeous, perfect, you mm-hmm. know. So Maggie's like, oh, man, I don't I, is, is he sure it's over? And and then it turns out Whitney's having some problems in her second marriage, so suddenly Bo's looking good again. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bo has no interest in acting mm-hmm. on it. But still, you know, creating insecurity. And, you know, and then, okay, well, um, Bo has a child who has special needs, and they moved because he was being bullied. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that left Bo undecided about whether he wants children you know more children and maggie's never been married and so you know so situations like that that are real and can imperil a real relationship so that's you know and then another trick when you're writing amateur sleuth is like okay why aren't the police solving this Mm -hmm. you know and you don't want to make them all idiots Mm -hmm. i mean for me the fun of rufus is that he comes across as kind of a, a you know, a good old drinking, good old boy, but he's smart. Mm -hmm. And I like, you know, the surprise of that. So, um, so what are real obstacles besides making, you know, the police forced bunch of dunderheads? Um, and one thing in a small town and, and very true in new Orleans too, is a lack of money and a lack of officers, you know, in, in LA now I, you know, I go to these community meetings and there are like New York is there. I heard a statistic at a community meeting the other night that New York has like 40,000 police officers, officers working the, you know, metropolitan, the boroughs. We have 7,000. We have some ridiculously low number and they're having a terrible time recruiting uh, police classes. You know, they're really small these days wow. because people are terif- are afraid to be a, poli- a police officer. It's, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, so I try to make those obstacles real too. And like I said, that she can get information out of people that they can't. And since they're hamstrung, they'll, you know, whether it's against the rules or not, they'll take what they can get for help. I, I loved Embody in the Bayou how there was that tension between Maggie and Whitney and Bo and that. And it, it really did seem realistic, like something that would really yeah. happen in, in that circumstance. Well, that's where I like to kind of put myself in. Like if I were in that situation and, you know, I was dating someone and he had this like, you know, amazing ex-wife and they have a really good relationship and they share a child and she's kind of having second thoughts about that breakup. Like how would I feel and how would Mm -hmm. I react? Yeah. And then in Mardi Gras murder, she's dealing with, you know, 
struggling to um, conceive and she had miscarriage and she's yeah, Whitney, not Whitney, not yeah, Mar- Whitney yeah. yeah, and you see like you see a, a bond form between or an understanding between Maggie and Whitney, which is which is nice. I like how she's not Whitney's not some villain. Yeah, well, in Cajun Christmas Killing, you know, it's it's like all of a sudden, um, Xander. One thing about Xander is that he's a bit of a, he's a savant artistically, and mm-hmm. he's really really talented at art. And he's only seven, and he already has great potential. So in Cajun Christmas Killing, Maggie's ex boyfriend showed up, but I didn't want it to be like, oh no, now he wants a relationship. Mm-hmm. He is not interested. He's interested in getting back together. She's not. But he's an art. You know, they had an art gallery together. That went away. His second marriage failed. Now he's like the in, you know the art specialist for a very this very rich guy, and um and he sees talent in Xander, mm-hmm. and wants to like promote him and turn him into kind of like a you know a young like a seven year old uh, prodigy prodigy. I was like, what's what's the word prodigy? And Whitney is kind of being suckered into this, and so mm-hmm. she and Mar- Maggie have a confrontation about it because Maggie is like, do not do that to your child, mm-hmm. you know. And but Whitney, I didn't want to m- make Whitney a villain, but Whitney is kind of like. I'm worried about his future. What mm-hmm. happens when we're gone? You know, maybe this could give him money and 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 prestige and stuff, you know. And so I really tried to make her position sympathetic and not just like, oh my God, this woman is going to pimp out her kid. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got, and, and it puts her at odds with her, with, with, Bow, so I'm always, always searching for the real in the obstacles. Yeah, and that's appreciated because I I feel like sometimes these kinds of characters can be very one dimensional. Oh, great! Thank you. Yeah, no, so good. Thank you. I'm glad that's you know. Yeah, that's a nice. Pete, you appreciate that. Yeah, it's a nice treat. <laughs> and plus, with Xander, it's not often you do see people with special needs represented yeah. in cozies, and so it's great to see you know people with disabilities represented in your cozies. I also like how you address the history of the plantation, right? The slave owning history and the impact of that. And you're aware of that. Yeah, you can't, you know, when I wrote the book and I did it a little in the first book and then as I've gone on, you know, um, uh, people don't realize that Leah, um, her cousin, is, is of color, you know, and I felt like you're setting a series at a plantation. You can't ignore that. You mm-hmm. don't, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be um, your main story, but even Ione, who's Maggie's, becomes Maggie's boss at the plantation, and it's this lovely black woman. Um, and oh god, I'm forgetting which book. I think it's, oh, it's Cajun Christmas Killing is suddenly um, ch- being treated by the new boss, who she eventually, you know, who is putting her in a different position as the person who's going to like in these living history tours she's trying to start, the person who's going to play the slave. Mm. And she's like, uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah. And going back into like the, the history of the place and all mm. of the, the facts and research you bring in, like around Mardi Gras, for mm-hmm. example, um, how do you balance like all the amazing research you're getting from the place with the story? Like when, how do you balance those facts and well, you know, the story it's, forward? it's interesting. I mean, if you make it part of their experience, um, your characters are living this right now, and then you have to kind of explain to people who don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Like in Mardi Gras Murder, um, Bo is, uh, he comes from another part of the state. He really doesn't know much about career to Mardi Gras, um, you know, which is probably pushing it a little because I think everyone from Louisiana knows mm-hmm. about it. But it's, you know, I had to write, I, someone had to be a little clueless about it. So, um, so Maggie gets to explain to him what it is and how it's how it's initiated and how it works in their town. Um, and that's Mardi Gras Run, which is the Cajun tradition of celebrating Mardi Gras, where people dress in these costumes and go from door to door begging for ingredients mm-hmm. for a communal gumbo, and, and it's on horseback, and they drink, and they do tricks, and, you know, they prank 
the people and it's it's a big you know and I fun. It's a lot of fun. I didn't I have not done one, but my friend Jan did, so I stole all her memories and experiences. People are riding around on horses drunk. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> a, lot a lot of them. So there were, like um, a lot of fatalities. Yeah, I know. Um yeah, so but it's funny because I'm writing now. I was telling you I was writing a Halloween themed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sixth is. is it's very exciting for me. Yeah, book <laughs> and and but there's so much stuff I want to get in there that I did find I was starting to like let the research lead, and then it's boring, mm-hmm. and so I had to pull stuff out, and I have to you know have it come out of the experiences people are having. Like I have now Xander and his little friend Esme, who you meet in Mardi Gras. Uh, no, in Cajun Christ- uh, uh, in Fatal Cajun Festival, which is the fifth book. He, he has this little friend who's a girl, and um, and Bode now is taking them to one of the plantations that's doing the equivalent of the Saint Joseph mourning tour I went to, and that's M O U R N, um, which shared many of the customs of the Creole customs about death, and so I love to get some of them in. So I have. But how do you do that without just becoming pedantic? So Bo, it turns out Bo takes the kids to that. He realizes it's okay for them to do it, and they come back, and they're and the little girl is all excited, and she's telling, "Did you know that they bring out the bodies, put them in the hearse with their feet facing out because they don't want you making eye contact with them, or because then they're going to steal your soul and you'll be next." <laughs> yeah. So I have it coming out of her, mm-hmm. you know, because you walk a fine line, and that's also I think why I felt like I should include the Lanyap chapter, so I can really go, okay, this is the real and this is where i found it out and if you want to um experience it for yourself here's where you can do that yeah no that's that's like that's a good tip especially too for aspiring writers who might not be sure how to deliver facts in an engaging way yeah taking it back to um maggie and Bo and marty gar murder their relationship is they're dealing with uh communication issues again which seems like a common theme in their relationship and i'm just wondering how do you keep their relationship interesting engaging to readers throughout a series because i'm sure there's a lot of plot points you have to think about to um keep keep it fresh because you just can't have them in harmony all the time yeah um you know it's it's just Again, I think I go back to finding, just going to the real of a relationship. Okay, well, what's going on? What are the dynamics? The dynamics is Maggie was, you know, come had a bad relationship that left her burned and wary, and, you know, she doesn't always trust. Um, so she comes with her own baggage and issues. And then Bo has, you know, has the son and, mm-hmm. and the ex-wife and the son with issues and a son who was bullied and how, you know, our... We've experienced that in my per, in my personal life, and I know the toll it takes on a child and on pa- on the parents, mm-hmm. and you know how you feel and what you think, and you know, and and parents have um, you know had close friends whose children had special needs, and and how difficult that is to deal with, mm-hmm. and you you know love your kid to death and want the best for them, and can you give it to them if you have a split focus of another child, or mm-hmm. is it good for them to have another child, a sibling in their world? Um, so again, it's always for me about going to the real mm-hmm. of the relationships. Yeah, that's a, also a good, a good tip, because um, it seems like in each, well, I read the two uh, books, yeah. and it seems like um, there's always some some new topic for them to grapple with, yeah. and also Maggie's thinking about possibly having kids with Bo in the future, and yeah. has feelings and how to conflict with what she wants. And so I found I found that engaging because we've read other cozy mysteries where there's a relationship, and yeah. it's interesting to see how it plays out throughout the series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of you know a lot of us do that because, like I say, it's the it's the overall arc versus the story of the week, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of arcs and stories of the week, your background mm-hmm. is in television writing. Yes. You wrote for Wings. Just and Shoot Just Me. Shoot Me. Still the, Standing. A the ton Fairly of Odd Parents. Fairly Odd Parents. <laughs> yes. I love what a great experience that was. So tell us a little bit about your television writing and how that influences your cozy mystery writing. Well, I think it taught me a lot about writing humor and the difference between writing jokes and writing humor. And I'm actually now, um, I've designed a workshop called It's a Funny Thing, Adding Mm -hmm. Humor to Your Writing. And I actually, um, someone asked me to do this for a um, a Sisters in Crime chapter in a a webinar, and I was like, oh my God, I can't explain humor. It's... it's, um, It's, it's just innate and instinctual. But then I started thinking, I thought, no, there are things, ways people can think and think people can think of that are simple ways to bring, you know, humor to points in your, in your books, if you want to do that. And, um, so I think, you know, just being in, in writer's rooms of anywhere from six to 16 writers of, uh, you know, throwing out jokes and stories and and years of doing comedy improv and learning how to structure. Um, I think it really influenced me structurally and and outlining. I mean, I don't go to the detail uh, that you do when you're writing um, uh, a TV outline because with in television, that outline that you write, it goes to the showrunner and then go, the room looks at it and then it goes to the studio and the mm-hmm. studio has notes and then it goes to the network, and the network has notes. So um, an outline is an extremely important part of your process until you're like so far behind that you say, here's what we're doing, and they go, oh, go okay. <laughs> um, but at least in the beginning, it's, you know, when you're starting the season, it's they're very detailed and very important. So that certainly gave me my, my um, tendency to outline and not pants something. And then just, and also knowing when to be funny and when not to although that also came from that writer who said you know what's her pro what's why is she so why does maggie have this ability and she it's because she's an artist also i'd written um embodying the bayou actually when they discover the first body i'd written that scene kind of mm-hmm. with jokes and stuff and this person said why are they joking she doesn't have much of a sense of humor mm-hmm. by the way but she said <laughs> why are they joking someone died and i thought Oh, okay. You know what? That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and again, it went back to right to the real. Okay, Maggie, if I want this to be believable and to be in, engaging and, and relatable, what does it feel like? What is Maggie thinking and feeling when she sees someone who's dead and mm-hmm. thinks it may not have been an accident? And that's not a place for jokes. The sleuths also, mm-hmm. they see a lot of death. Yeah. And yeah, I, know. I think the longer that series sometimes can go on, the reaction from the sleuth can become kind of blase. Like, yeah, yeah. oh, there's another body. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, and, and they say it's kind of a Cove syndrome where yeah, these small exactly. towns have, someone said in England they did some some publication it did that the murder rate in Cabot Cove was like 60% the rate of London or something <laughs> you know um but also uh, the other thing I real I learned through doing um both single camera and multi-camera shows is the difference between jokes and humor mm-hmm. and um you know when you're doing single camera it tends to be less hard jokes like like a big bang or will and grace which is a multi-camera shot with before a live audience with multiple cameras has a lot of like hard jokes um but single camera those tend to stand out more so you'll have more jokes that are you know more humorous moments you can do with visuals mm-hmm. what you can't do you know with like like a film because it's shot like a movie with single camera and it's mm-hmm. that's how it it's presented um you have moments for behavior and and for humor from visuals that you may not get 
Um, and then they're also like Veep is a great example now of a show uh, that has hard jokes, but they're very character based. And the best humor comes from character. I mm-hmm. mean, being writing for TV, when you had a character who just, or a performer, because I wrote a lot of shows that did not go, you know, went, were cut off after mm-hmm. six, you know, never got the back nine or went just one season. Um, and sometimes it was a question of like, okay, this character just isn't developed enough. How are they funny? And sometimes it was, you, uh, someone was cast who just, you couldn't find where they were funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at the early episodes of Friends and they had some trouble in the beginning finding where Monica was funny. And mm-hmm. then they finally found it and they could write to that and Courtney Cox could play it to the nth degree and it was great. But I remember seeing, watching an early episode and there was a scene where she didn't even speak. And I knew exactly what happened, that they just cut everything because mm-hmm. none of it worked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I learned so much from writing for television. Yeah. And plus television writing is so collaborative. Yes. You have, the, you have the room. Do you find yourself sort of yearning for that solitude of writing a novel? Do you? How do you... Approach I might, like that, I the loved, difference. Do you like the balance? Or? I love the balance. Like when I was working, yeah, my last job was working at Nickelodeon on Fairly Odd Parent, a very odd, Fairly Odd Parents, and then Bunsen is a Beast, which was uh, Butch Hartman's other show. And I loved that. I mean, it was a great experience. The hours were, you know, better than a sitcom where the hours can, I wouldn't have any time to write if I mm-hmm. was parenting and working on a sitcom. Mm-hmm. I didn't have barely a time to parent. Um, but the hours were more manageable uh, given various circumstances. And so... It was a great, great uh, mix of both that I had the camaraderie and the laughter of the room because you will never laugh harder than you laugh in a TV, even with all the pressure that's mm-hmm. on you um, to be funny or to you know meet deadlines or to be up all hours if you need to. Um, being in a room with just people who are hired simply because for the for their comic ability is just like. Uh, you, you know, you would sit there sometimes and go, I can't believe I'm being paid for this. Yeah. Because this is like, fun. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was hard as hell, but it was also, you know, with you're just with the best people on earth, uh, in America doing right, who've been made it to the, you know, because of their skills. And so that was great. That was a great balance. That's yeah. amazing. It sounds like you, you mentioned the skills that you picked up from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, being in the writer's room. Uh, what advice do you have for people who are interested in writing cozy mysteries? Well, the first advice is the simplest because it's just in a word, right? Mm-hmm. I only had writer's block once because honestly, when you're writing for a living, you cannot afford writer's block. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's just because mm-hmm. it means if you're not writing, you're not earning money. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I, if I ever, you know, got stuck, I just learned to power through and find a way through. So, um, but I will say that after the 2016 election, for the first time in my life, I literally had writer's block because I was like, I don't know what's going on in my country or the world, mm-hmm. and um, I'm writing something funny, but I don't feel like laughing, and I don't know how how can I write something that's so shallow, and, and I just, and um, I got together with a, a friend who's also a mystery writer, and she said, you know what, just write 15 minutes a day because anyone can write for 15 minutes a day. And then if you've accomplished that, great. And if you do more, that's great too. So I would do that. I just sat down and said, okay, for these 15 minutes, I'm just going to write. And I would get a, and I give myself credit for doing that. And then that began to grow and grow. And then I finally got back on track. So, um, so I would say the first thing to do is, is start, if you need to start small, start small. 
Um, and then, of course, you, you know, the thing is you can't really do accomplish a lot 15 minutes, so you can't just only do 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I have a whole thing now that it's actually morphed into a workshop possible and morphed into the theme of the upcoming California Crime Writers Conference. And it all started in a Weight Watchers meeting where my friend Casey, who was leading the meeting, asked us, "Are you know, a Weight Watchers question, are you interested or committed? And that was like such a great question mm-hmm. that just went beyond Weight Watchers, where I clearly was more interested than committed. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, da- I, I battle that every day. Mm-hmm. And it's such a brilliant, simple sentence because I think, you know, if you want to write a cozy or write anything, you have to ask yourself, am I interested or committed? And if you're committed, you will do what it takes to get it done. And in terms of writing a specific cozy, um, you know, if you are grappling, look, I, I've been a professional writer since I was... 20s in my 20s and I won't tell you how old I am because that that's a top secret <laughs> but um when you also have to when I decided I wanted to write mysteries I bought like five books on how to write mysteries I brought a great um Hallie Efron wrote a fabulous book Carol um Carolyn Wheat wrote a book um Nancy J. Cohn who's a mystery writer I know her she just did a revision of her book how to write a cozy mystery that's being has nominated for an mm-hmm. Agatha I bought that and I just I educated myself on on um what the structure was because there is a specific structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, know what the parameters of your genre. When I plantation shutters came out after they came out, um, my, my publisher and I did a, um, uh, a God check of the book or a police, not a God check. We did a, a profanity check because, um, cozy readers there's a cozy there is no gratuitous sex violence or bad language in a cozy Mm -hmm. um that's one of the those are the parameters basically of a cozy Mm -hmm. so um so i we did that and i my had a character who would say jesus you know Mm -hmm. when he exclaimed and we got rid of those and so the book came out and i got an email from a writer an off a reader who said i really enjoyed your book but you took the lord's name in vain a little too much and i'm like what (laughs) so i did a god search and what I realized is Maggie does what I did when she exclaimed. She went, "Oh my god!" Wow, and, I would have never, um, really never thought that. that. Yeah, <laughs> no, but and I was like, okay, because one of the first things I learned in playwriting, and I never forgot that, was um, the the teacher. And I only took one class after college at the Ensemble Studio Theater, and Kurt Dempster, the late Kurt Dempster, taught it. And he said, "You only use profanity when you can't think of a better way to say something." And I love that mm-hmm. because I thought, "Well, that is so great because it makes it make gives you a great challenge as a writer. Think of a better way to say something." Mm-hmm. And so I wrote back to the woman. I said, "Thank you. I this is where I found it." And I'm going to challenge myself to think of a better way to say that or or do it as a description of what mm-hmm. she, you know, she find different ways to say that. And she was like, oh, my gosh, I never thought I'd hear back from you. Thank yeah. you so much. You know, Aww. but um, but I love that because I love those challenges. And in um, uh, a Cajun Christmas killing, when they find they're getting these bad reviews on a website and they're. Uh, you know, a travel website, and they're trying to figure out where they're coming from, and they can't delete them. Um, Gran is getting Gran Mare is getting very frustrated, and she wants to. Um, you know, she's not a character who would use profanity, but she wants to. So I had to. I had so much fun because instead of saying you know the s word, she goes, "Oh, shiver me timbers," <laughs> or you know, "Oh, mother," instead of yeah. "mother," you know, "mother effa," she's a mummy funny, yeah. and it was so much fun. To think of a better way to say that. And it makes them more colorful, too. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. 
you mentioned a Halloween. Yes, mystery. before that, though, uh, the fifth book will be out in October, and that is a Fatal Cajun Festival, and that was inspired by Jazz Fest in New Orleans. Oh, so um, they come up with a uh, ground comes up with mm-hmm. idea for for. Um, uh, Pelican to do its uh, do a precursor to Jazz Fest to attract people to come earlier to Pelican and then go down to Jazz Fest. Mm-hmm. It's called Cajun Country Live, and it's, so it's a musical thing. And the uh, headliner is a girl who uh, a twenty something girl who um, won a contest called the American Idol called Sing It. <laughs> so she was the winner, and she was the local girl made good. So she's the headliner, and she comes back, and it turns out she has a huge issue with Gaynell, who she went to college uh, high school with. And so um, that inspires that series. And then I'm doing a new series for um, a second series for uh, Kensington, um, the Catering Hall Mysteries. And I'm writing those under the name uh, Maria DeRico. And so that is inspired by my family growing up in Queens. And it's a very, it's uh, definitely a cozy. Um, the first book will be called Here Comes the Body. And um, it takes place at a catering hall in Queens that's got a view of the Flushing Bay, but also of the LaGuardia Airport landing pattern. Oh, wow. And it's um, it's it's funny. I, I had a really fun time. Oh, yeah, especially and, your family's from New York. Yeah, and the protagonist is a girl whose father is in, uh, she's in her early 30s, and she was, you know, her husband, she was a person of interest in, a, um, in her husband's disappearance in Miami, but she's been cleared, and she comes back to New York. And her father, who's a lieutenant in a mob family, has was and ran their gambling enterprises, was given this catering hall to as a um, to payment of a debt from a gambler, mm-hmm. and he has to run it as a legitimate business. It can't have any stink on it, and she is determined to help him do that and and not have him go back to the life, as they call it. So. Um, it was really, it's really fun yeah, to write because it it's my, like you know, I, it's, I grew up as a, you know, a girl in Queens and Westchester and New yeah, York. So. Yeah. And then once again, speaking of colorful characters, I'm sure yeah. there'll be plenty, lots yes. of fodder there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then also you mentioned a Facebook party. Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. So on March 5th, um, from eight to 9 PM. So I hope this comes out mm-hmm. before that. Um, uh, um, Laura Childs, Terry Moran, uh, Colleen uh, Mooney, and Sheree Claire and I are doing a Facebook party, Facebook a Mardi Gras party, party okay. um, from eight to nine. There's an event page I set up for it, and um, we'll be doing, you know, co- like posts and giveaways, and um, it should be fun. And that's that's on Mardi Gras Fat Tuesday. So you can go to the event page, um, uh, Mardi Gras party. And it's going to be fun. Yeah, I don't know if you've never like done a, a Facebook page. Yeah. Know, yeah, I know. I've, I've never done a, I've never even heard of a Facebook party. So that's really. Yeah. Neat. Well, it's um, if people like we post uh, something like I'll, I'm going to post my first post, I think is going to be, I did the um, Mardi Gras world tour in New mm-hmm. Orleans and it was great fun. It was wonderful. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to post about that. And then I ask a question and people comment and I'll do a giveaway. So oh, I'll be a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah, I think it's something our readers will be interested in. For Great. Sure. Yeah. Fantastic. Awesome. To wrap up um, all of our episodes, we burn a candle and then talk yeah. about it. <laughs> That's great. Um, so right now we are burning a stone candle, whatever that means. Somebody, I think, I think it's somebody's last name who makes candles. Okay. And uh, the scent is Santal Noir 23. Oh, a little very, French very, in there for well, Yeah, for Very Ellen. nice. A little sexy. Um, it's in a reclaimed yeah. bottle, for what oh. it's worth. I guess it, I'm thinking it used to be a wine bottle. Yeah, it looks like it was a wine bottle. Mm. And um, That's very cool. We found this at um, the Hargate uh, plant shop. The, oh. The, um, yeah, Marisha Har- Hargate's dad. That's right, yeah. Yeah, Mickey Hargate. So they, they sell candles there <laughs> yeah. as well in the little gift section. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stood out to me and my partner because we... Um, well, you smell... It's a ubiquitous scent in L.A. and New York, that mm. Le Labo Santal perfume or cologne oh yeah um it's everywhere and I that's feel what like. i thought it was at first yeah but. <laughs> mm. so it, it, it smells if you've ever smelled like the 
Santal by Le Labo. It smells a lot like that. Um, I don't even know what that is. They're a perfumery. I don't yeah, it's oh. a very a popular scent. I feel like everyone was wearing it at some point. Oh. So I, I still smell it all the time. Yeah, me too. I know people people were kind of over it because it was it was ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. But now, I, I mean, I, I always kind of liked it. So yeah, me too. And I, I like this candle. I think it smells just like that. Yeah. I think when, when I was putting my nose to, to it, it smelled really good, but mm. I it's a little bit, the throw is not that strong, which is nice in yeah, some ways. It's very subtle. It's very, it's subtle. very subtle, but I like it. Yeah. It's very warm and subtle. Yeah. It, it's it's that sort of, it, it makes the room smell very LA. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever association I have with that. Yeah. Very being from LA. The Midwest. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, yeah. it feels like a, like a, a nighttime candle, you know. Oh. <laughs> I don't be... Get you in the mood a little bit. Maybe <laughs> someone over for dinner. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, we have a little a rating system. Yeah. So okay. we each can give it a wick. Yes. Oh, that's great. Yes. So um, I'll give it a wick. I'll give it, yeah, two wicks up. So you can do you can do any fraction of a wick, too, like a half yeah. a wick. What's or... the, high, well, the highest and lowest? Is a wick. Yeah, one so wick. no wick, oh, half wick, or okay. full wick. I'll give it a wick. All right, yeah. three wicks three up. Wicks. This is this is a well reviewed candle. Um, if you're interested, again, it's the Stone Candle Centel Noir Twenty Three. One thing, actually, I want to just as a warning to other uh, candle buyers because it's oh. something I experienced, and then we had an issue with this candle earlier when we were trying to light it. Just to be mindful of, I had the candle on my stovetop, oh. and I had made a frozen pizza last night. Oh, <laughs> and so you know the stove warms up, the yeah. candles on top of it, the wax melts. Oh. And so mm-hmm. when your wax melts, it can drown the wick, right? Oh. And it becomes really hard to light. So uh, Jillian had the task I today of lighting like the candle. five minutes just trying oh, to yeah. light it. Dare, oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> and so... And it, yeah. Dig out the wick. Even when yeah. we were sitting here, when we, we, we started, mm-hmm. it went out by itself. And that yeah. was because there's just too much wax mm-hmm. covering right. the candle. Um, it's, it's, it's finally burning itself back mm-hmm. to normal. But yeah. just to warn, you know, listeners out there, you know, if you're going to do a melt, you can just melt the candle that way instead yeah. of lighting it. You know, be careful. Don't put it on the stove because it might drown the wick. Yeah. Okay. Little little practical candle tip. These are a candle. I know nothing about this. It's fascinating. I love that they used an old wine bottle. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 I yeah. think this is a whole line that uses reclaimed yeah. materials. That's great. All right, so that about does it for today. Yeah, we had such a great um, thank time. Thank you so much for joining thank us, Thank you. Thank you for having Our me. inaugural cozy author. Oh, my gosh, I can't no, believe it. No, it's been um, a great conversation. I can, I, can, I can hook you up with others in L.A. I'm sure they'd love that, to do we it. We would love That'd that. That'd be wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, sure. Where can people find you? Um, and um, they can you find me at my, my website is ellenbyron.com, and then on Facebook, I'm at Ellen Byron Author. And on Twitter and Instagram, um, where I I do less, but I'm I'm there. Uh, it's Ellen Byron LA is at Twitter, and mm-hmm. Cajun Country Mysteries is on Instagram because my daughter didn't want me using her name, my real my name, because her friends might find me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so go follow Ellen. Yes, please do. Um, and oh, and but- let me just say I have a newsletter that comes oh. out monthly, and um, it's the Cajun Country newsletter, although it's probably going to morph a little bit um into the Ellen Byron newsletter because it'll you know may include it'll include news of my new uh my new series too eventually I do sometimes I do giveaways I do little bits about the history of Cajun country I do a recommend I do recipes oh I love it you can sign up for it on the homepage of my website oh great yeah awesome and March 5th is your Facebook party yes thank you awesome all right well thank you so much for popping on yeah and also be sure listeners to go buy one of her books go to your local bookseller Mardi Gras Murder is the the newest in the series Mm -hmm. check out the Cajun Country Mysteries yeah we're at all things cozy podcast on Instagram and you can find us at Facebook and we have our own little private Facebook group yeah anyone who's interested in joining check us out on Facebook at all things cozy podcast 
Thank you. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you, Ellen. Stay cozy. Stay cozy.